good afternoon, good evening. My name is Felix C. Arroyo, a.k.a. The Journeyman, a.k.a. Flex. And you've just tuned into The Journeyman Chronicles. I don't want to waste too much time getting funny here because, uh, honestly, I just don't really feel it. We've got a really serious episode here. I want to bring the light. Um, a lot of important issues with this podcast, and this is one of them. So, uh, a buddy of mine by the name of Jerry Kahoot, Jerry reached out to me and wanted to share his story. Jerry made a made a decision that changed the course of his life. It ended up taking a life. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Decision making. Things that we do with our lives. Drinking. Drugs. How it affects our families. How it affects other people. And Jerry shares with us his story. What happened to him. What he's learned. What he's been through. And I guarantee every one of us has put ourselves in a position where we shouldn't have driven home after drinking. I know I have. So please take the time today to listen to this interview in its entirety. I know it's a big one, but I just didn't feel right shortening it. And I didn't feel right splitting this into two different episodes because honestly, the the flow of this conversation is so good. There's so much to learn from Jerry. And he's he's being an open book and honest. And he's not asking for anything but people taking the time to hear it, hopefully learning something from it. So let's get started. Let's not waste any more time. Thank you for tuning in. This is the Journeyman Chronicles. This is episode number four. Let's go. Episode 4 of the Journeyman Chronicles. This is with Jerry Kahoot. Now, this is the first time I'm doing this podcast um, via Zoom. So I've got Jerry sipping on his mug. He's in his beautiful garage. I know you guys can't see it, but uh, he's got a nice... He's got, he got a nice little setup in there. He can two-bay garage. It's nice and big, and you got bay lights up and everything. I feel it. I feel like I'm at work when I look at those lights. Well, <laughs> it yeah. just doesn't. It just doesn't feel like work when you're there. I'm sure it don't feel like work. <laughs> it's cleaner than work. It's definitely cleaner than work. So, Jerry, it's been like you know, for the exception of the two weeks that you came back on the dock when I was uh, my daughter was being born, I haven't seen you in about a year. So how are you doing? How's how's it going? I know a lot of people that work with you would like to know how you how you're doing. Um, I'm doing all right. I'm still hurting. I mean, it's going to be more. It's going to take some time. This is the uh, third time in the same spot for this surgery. What exactly and happened time, for those that don't it know? Had, it was a lumbar hernia. So basically, what happened is you have muscles that overline each other and connect to your hip bone, 
to keep everything inside, like your intestines and all that, to keep it on inside from the outer wall. Right. I ripped all those muscles off my hip. And I also blew a hole through the liner, which means everything came out God. on the outer layer of the skin from my spine to my stomach. Hmm. So this time it was six hour surgery that they had to go in and repair everything and connect. And hopefully everything stays this time. So they say third time's a charm. So we'll see. So you but, had, uh, you had, the, still, I mean, I'm hurting. You had it the first time and you went and got the surgery. It, when, when was the first surgery? I was like last year, when seven years ago. Oh, so this is, well, oh, this is my second. Oh, I see what I, you're saying. My now. third one. Yeah, oh wow! So I didn't know this was a like a, a re reoccurring oh, yeah. injury that you've already had before. Yeah, this is it. It happened and it stayed good for about four and a half years, and then I tore it again, and then that was this not this time, but the last time last year. Came back to work for a week and a half, and it tore. Again. So now this is the time. So hopefully, mm. hopefully this time it's going to be good. I'm too old for this, man. <laughs> um, yeah, yes. Yeah. We want you nice and healthy, Jerry. I'm losing your, uh, I'm losing your audio a little bit. Just keep that in mind. I'm not sure if that's where you're where you're at, but um, you're coming in good yeah. now. But I, while you were talking, I was losing you there a little bit. Are you? How about now? No, you're good. Yeah, it's co- it's kind of like that. Oh, okay. That echoey fade out effect that every now oh, and okay. then. Okay, so you 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 dealt with. Uh, le- lumbar hernia is that what it was yeah lumbar hernia and they so now it's they're all reattached and you're just everything's reattached and i'm just trying to get myself strong again and get ready to come back to the fun fun zone yeah well you know i i i hope to see you soon and uh you know the fun zone is you know the fun zone's the fun zone you know it looks like you might you might be enjoying uh uh not coming to the to the fun zone. <laughs> it's um, it's uh, I'm very torn. Felix. It's very oh very no pun torn. no pun intended, Jerry. Yeah, no pun intended. I'm very uh, I'm very torn on this this uh conversation. <laughs> I mean, I miss you know I, I miss I miss a lot of people, um, but there's a lot I don't miss too. But that's going to be anywhere. You yeah, know what I mean? Absolutely. So, Absolutely, you'll, you'll have that wherever you are. And the type of work that but, we do, you kind of have to put that into perspective too, because you're not just going to be. I mean, no one wants to sit there and roll straps all day. So you're you're going to either be working no. or be bored off your ass. And right. I know I know you you work. So yeah, it's it's tough. I I want you to yeah. come back nice and safe and and healthy, buddy. Yeah, right. you know I need to. I just want to be able to come back and contribute and. You know, help the squad out. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, I know a lot of people are waiting for you. So we are here with Jerry Kahoot because Jerry Kahoot, you have yourself a journey. And the cool thing about this is you were the first person um, to reach out to me once you heard the first podcast, the first episode that I did. Um, And you reached out to me uh, pretty much uh, suggesting that you would like to share your story. And I was kind of blown away because you had already shared your journey somewhat with me uh, a few years back. And so I was already kind of hip to it. 
And I remember telling you, I said, if you're down, I'm down. Uh, and so here we are. Um, now, I want to take this slowly because I want to give this the respect that it's there's a lot here that I want to get into. And obviously, you had a traumatic experience that put that you were put in a position to change a lot of things about yourself. And before we get into that, I really would just like to start right from the beginning. I watched the video that you uh, asked me to watch. I found it on YouTube. And I want to, with your permission, I'm going to post that uh, in the description of this uh, episode so that if anybody else wants to go watch it, there's the link they can go watch it. And you had talked about... Uh, the school you were going to school, and then the the friends, and how kind of like you said you you mentioned something along the lines of you know you you have friends in school, and then you, when you go to high school, there's the friends that you grew up with, you kind of aren't friends anymore, and you started hanging out with different people, or they started hanging out with different people. Talk to me about where you're from, your how you grew up, family life. And how that led into the transition of you having friends from childhood and then no longer being friends with the same people. Um, well, I grew up uh, Harrisburg area. I grew okay. up down in Lawton. It's um, down off of Dairy Street. I don't know if you're familiar with that area. I'm not. No. Um, I lived off. I lived off 48th and Dairy up on on top of the hill. Um, I you know I was born 71, so okay. I grew up. You know late 70s sure into 80s. the 80s was, yeah. my, was my time to rip and run yeah and um you know it's it, it was it was small close-knit that we were in and surrounding areas you know back then we didn't have cell phones and youtube and and all that so if you wanted to go hang out you, you were outside yep. bike and you was making you were making the trip you yeah. know what i mean yeah or else you weren't seeing nobody um and it was, you know, it was cool. It wasn't, I didn't grow up in a, in a super bad area. Okay. I mean, I didn't grow up in a super rich area. I was sure we were middle class, middle class. Know? Right. My dad worked hard and, and, um, you know, he worked hard for what we had and, but it was cool. You know, I wouldn't, there, there's some things I wouldn't change about how I grew up. I got to grow up with, you know, other parents that were involved, you know what I mean? As a kid, yeah. you know, back then everybody was mom was your mom uh-huh. you know what i mean and that, and that's the bottom line like you know if i was on 61st street and i was breaking bottles and miss johnson called me she whooped my ass then called my mom yeah and my mom would come down and whoop my ass because miss johnson called me and then i right. wait for my dad to go whoop my ass for the third <laughs> bottle time <laughs> yeah yeah like you know and that's kind of how we grew you know that's kind of how we grew up um a lot of did a lot of stuff in the woods you know, we had a lot of woods around where we were at, so we was always riding dirt bikes and BMX and gotcha. and things like that. Um, you know, and, and I grew up with a good group of kids. And as we got into junior high, you know, you span with different people. Yeah. And I kind of got into a different crowd. And it wasn't that my old friends and me, we left on bad terms or anything. We just they were doing their thing and I was starting to experiment and do my thing. And we just didn't hang out no more. You know what I mean? Gotcha. I hung out with a lot of older kids. I was young. I was a lot younger than a lot of the people where I was growing up. So I was influenced by a lot of the older crowd, which nobody forced me to do anything. I want to get that clear from the gate. Okay. I wasn't forced or 
peer pressured or, you know, anything like that. Nobody shoved nothing in my face or down my throat. I did that all on my own. Right. Okay. You know what I mean? I don't want to make it sound like, oh, I was peer pressured. I wasn't. And you were Um, hanging with, from, from a very, you said from early on, you were used to hanging with kids that were older than you. That was the norm for you. Yeah. When I was, when we moved in, I was three when we moved into the neighborhood. So when I started really meeting people, when I was like five or six, you know, most of the kids were five years older than me. So I was the young buck trying to hang out with the older crowd. You know what I mean? And, and that's just kind of how it was. So I grew up, I grew up older, but young, if that makes sense. Sure. You know what I mean? Like I learned at a young age, maybe more than I should have learned at a young age. Sure. You know what I mean? Yep. Absolutely. And I mean, it's not all bad, but it's not all good either. So, you know, but yeah, I definitely, I definitely was the younger, younger, the group when I was growing up. Do you have any uh, siblings? No, no, I do not. It's just me. Okay. So, so there were no, there were no brother and sister at home where you were pretty much your, your surroundings in regards to social life at a young age were with your friends who were older. And that was, that was how, yeah, I got it now. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Because family, like I don't have any family, like other family besides my parents that lived around here. You know, my family was in Ohio. And in Ohio was my family, Texas was my family, and St. Louis was my family. Okay. So, I mean, it wasn't like I was, you know, we were having cousins over and aunts and uncles, and I didn't see, I didn't have that. Oh, I didn't okay. have that growing up. We didn't have a whole lot of, yeah, you know. Was like, that something you this, were? Was that something that you were aware of at a young age? Like, I don't have, uh, besides my mom and dad. I, mean, I, I noticed it. I noticed it because I would go to my friends like and they were going to my uncles today. My cousins are coming over, hanging out with my cousins. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I didn't have none of that. So I noticed it. You know, there wasn't. And to this day, like I haven't I honestly and this is straight up. I haven't talked to any of my cousins. in probably 30 years. Wow. Like, I don't. Why do you think that is? That's just the way life took took its turn and that i mean i think i get looked at differently from people for for you know what happened with my life and you know i got a lot of family members that like to throw stones mm. and i just honestly i just don't have time for it i keep it moving okay you I know see what i mean saying, if, if if you uh if you want to hear what i have to say and and you don't have to agree with anything i say but I'm, I don't throw stones at you. Don't throw stones at me. Sure. You know what I mean? Everybody has skeletons in the closet. So don't anybody that acts like, you know, they're perfect and nothing ever happened. I call bullshit a hundred percent of the time. You sure. can't, you're, you're not going to bullshit me on that. You know what I mean? Nobody's perfect. There's no one perfect in this world. Nope. Everybody's had some form of something happen. Think- I'm not saying it's completely bad or like me, but, no, yeah, There's something. And I think a lot of people have a hard time accepting that about themselves. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that, like you said, they throw stones. A lot of judgment. Um, and you're right; it may not be equivocal, but that doesn't mean that we're all cleansed of right. what we do. Every morning we wake up with the baggage and the the burden of our decisions, one way or another. And and you're right. Um, 
when it came to school, uh, how were you like, were your grades uh, affected? Were you, were you able to kind of like kick ass in school and still do what you were doing? I didn't care about school. Okay. School, school to me, school to me was finding out what we were going to do this weekend or tomorrow night. Like I was like a social gathering. School to me me was social, man. I didn't, um, you know, and I really don't know. You know, I think I may have had some issues, but it was never, you know, back then they didn't, they didn't look at things back then the way they do today. Okay. And I mean, sometimes I think they may overlook at stuff today a little bit, but in the same respect, you never know. You know yeah. what I mean? But to me, I could, I could care less about school. I was not, I was not a book and pencil type of dude. From the very I just, beginning? I like, wasn't. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, from the very beginning, school, I didn't want to be there. School was hard for me. School was very hard for me. And I and I really, I still don't really understand why. Because, I mean, you know, now that I do things, I, it's no big deal. You know what I mean? But back then, I just, I did not, I just did not like school at all. Was that something you know, that, the social um, aspect was great. Your parents, were they, were they involved heavily in your life in regards to like making sure school was done or what were you doing outside of school or were you kind of like, My did parents, you have a lot of freedom? I had a lot of freedom. Okay. I had a lot of freedom for a lot of years. Um, my dad's 85 and my mom is 83. So my parents were old, old school. Sure. Like, yeah, you know, everything, everything looks like a glass clean house in their eyes. And you don't dare make anyone outside of that house know mm. what goes on behind mm-hmm. that door. Like, Absolutely. and you know, it's very old school. Um, you know, my dad worked and he worked his ass off constantly. And he was always at work. And, you know, I had a lot of freedom, man. I had a lot of freedom. So, you know, it was easy for me to go do sure. whatever I wanted to do. Sure. You know what I mean? There wasn't any, there wasn't a lot of holdback. And, and I regret that sometimes. You know what I mean? Like I definitely wasn't the same way with my kids to a certain level. Like they had freedom, but not like I did. You feel you bad. Know? Like you mean like you were aware that you had that much freedom and you, you took advantage not of until it later or? on in life. Okay. Not until later on, not until later on when I got older and really started looking into myself and looking at me. Okay. You know what I mean? Looking at, looking at choices I made and things okay. I did okay. in my life. And then that's when I noticed, you know, like I had, <laughs> I had a lot of freedom, man. There wasn't many questions asked. So I got away with a lot. And then there again, in return with what I said about mom and dad, not wanting to see it. You know, Mm. I know they, there's no way they didn't see it. Okay. Like, I'm sorry, but there's no way they didn't see it, you know? So, but you're right. You know, with that generation, I know what you mean because, you know, uh, my parents are in their sixties, but you know, I, I grew up in a very strict uh, Puerto Rican household and Catholic at, on top of that. And you're right. The, my grandparents generation and into my mom's and, and my dad's was kind of like, we don't talk about that here, whatever, yeah. whatever is going on there. We don't talk about that here. And it's almost like it doesn't exist. And I think that right. obviously that does a lot more damage than anything. And and I think you being able to recognize that now and and like you said, you felt bad. You were starting to reflect. That's I mean, that's personal growth. And that's a decision that we all come like the crossroads that we come to in our lives. Like I know 
the way my parents were raised wasn't perfect, but my mom learned from it and she raised us a little better, but it wasn't perfect. Right. And so now I'm trying to, right. you know, do the same. And I know I'm, yeah. I wasn't perfect and my daughter's going to be 19 soon. And I'm sure I'm going to hear about the, and that's just the cycle of life. So I can definitely relate to that. So you have a lot of freedom. Um, you have no siblings. You're hanging around with a crowd that's, for the most part, older than you. You're seeing and hearing and doing mm-hmm. things probably at a, a lot younger of an age than most other people. Oh, yeah. um, you get into school. Now you're, you're going to start hanging out with a new crowd and you're you're getting into drugs at that age? What I mean, what's this, middle school, junior yeah, high? Yeah, I mean, I dabbled like summer of sixth grade into seventh grade. I started dabbling with smoking weed and drinking, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and um, I found, I don't know, it affected me differently. You know, it, like you it, everybody gets affected differently. Like when I smoked and I drank, I was, I was relaxed. I was easier. I wasn't nervous. I wasn't, you know what I mean? Like I just, sure. it was easier for me to gel with people and talk to people. I didn't, uh, this is when you were drunk and high or, or just high or. Well, yeah, I mean, and not even and not even like super drunk, you know what I mean? But like when I would drink or when I would smoke, I would notice, man, this, you know, this is all right, man. Gotcha. Like I can talk to people and I can, you know what I mean? And it, it felt good to not be like tied up in myself. And I still work on that today sometimes, you know what I mean? Like I, I catch myself where I'm like, uh, I shut myself off. Sure. From people, you sure. know what I mean? And, um, and I, and I, I handle it, obviously I handle it completely different today than I did back then, but you know, it was easy for me to deal with, like, I always used it to deal with problems. Okay. Like I would go smoke and I would think, you know, man, it ain't going to be there no more. Sure. But back then I didn't have the mindset to realize the problem's still going to be there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You're just masking the problem and making more of a problem for your problem. Okay. If that makes sense yeah, to you. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And I, I did that with drinking. Now, drinking, drinking for me, man, was a different trigger. Like, I could drink. Even at a young age, I could drink. I would put people out. You and were aware of that at, at I, a young age that you were able to drink. Like, you, you were, yeah. you were aware of what you were drinking and that you could handle it, even at a young age. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, and and you know, like, big thing for us is we get, you know, we get two six packs and a fifth of bean. And that was like our thing, yeah, you know. I mean, yeah. Friday night football, we go to the pizza <laughs> joint after the game, yeah, to meet everybody else to go finish partying for the rest of the night. Gotcha, you know. And but I, I don't know when I when I drank, I just I just felt it, it just it triggered something in me. Drinking drinking affects me differently. Like let me give you like an example with my wife. Now my wife, my wife is what I would always call a teetotaler. You know, like we would go out and she would get a vodka and cranberry. Mm-hmm. And I would watch that bitch sit on the bar and the ice would melt and the glass and she still had three quarters of the glass. And I'm getting pissed off. Like, are you going to drink that? Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, you're wasting that liquor. You know what I mean? You're watering and, it and, down. And I'm being dead ass. Yeah. Like, I'm being, like you're just going to let that get wasted. You know what I mean? You're not going to drink that. And I would end up starting to drink her drink mm-hmm. because I would feel like Man, you're going to ruin it. Yeah. Yeah. Stupid. But, but, no, but yeah, you know, I get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like alcohol had a different effect on me. You had mentioned Um, about three minutes ago, you had mentioned when you said it has a different effect on you, 
you said something along the lines like like I could like I uh, I can't remember how you just said it, but you kind of alluded like, I like fit in. Like it may like were like you were, but were you referring to some sort of do you deal with anxiety or something and you felt like it made it See, took that away? Back in them days they didn't pinpoint shit like that. You didn't have anxiety, you had anger issues or you had a uh, a mental issue. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't never anxiety. Like in the eighties, you I didn't know nothing about no anxiety. It was right. just either you were an asshole or you had an anger issue or you know what I mean? Right. Um but yeah, I think I think I had I think I had anxiety at a young age. And I think I had anxiety growing up. Like I do sometimes feel like it still kicks in sometimes today with certain things. Like I catch myself in certain situations, even at 50, like I'll go, man, why the fuck do I feel like I'm 20 years old again? You oh, know what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. Like I get inside myself and it gets weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, but, but the alcohol just, it, it just, it smooths everything. You know, it, it just, I was able to relax. I wasn't tense. I wasn't, you know, yep. it does all the things that alcohol does to anybody, but I have a different, I feel I have a different chemical build than other people and it affects me differently. Alcohol and me, it's not a good, you know, a good combination. You could go out and have a couple beers and be good. I'm going to go out and drink until tomorrow morning. Okay. Like I that's see what the you difference. Mean. You know what I mean? Like I have it. When I went to drink, I never went to go have a couple beers. There was never having a couple beers with me and my drinking ever. ever. Is that is that always like a, a mental? That's a mental uh, thought. Like you're already you're already there mentally. Like this is what I'm doing. I'm not. I don't yeah. understand. I don't understand drinking two beers and then leaving. Right. I don't understand. I used to that. laugh at people. Gotcha. I used to laugh at people. I'd be like, you mean you're getting dressed to come out after work to go have two beers, turn around, and go home? Really? Yeah. Like, were you soft? Like, <laughs> why would you even waste your time? You know? Right. What I mean? No. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, you know, I was at my towards the end of my bad, bad part in my drinking. I mean, it was always bad, but when I was real bad, like, I would have a half barrel on tap at home, and I would have bottles at home. And then I would go to the bar and I would drink at the bar and then come home and drink. Mm. Like, that's how my drinking was. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I didn't, there wasn't no teetotaling, you know, towards the end. Um, I would have to drink in the morning before I go to work so I wouldn't shake. Okay. Like, that's where I was at. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, for me to function, I'd have to get up and drink in the morning. Gotcha. So... You know, it was, but I do, I think, I think I used it. I don't know. I, I, I didn't know how to deal with, with life, I think is what it boils down to. Like, and I didn't have, you know, I don't blame my parents, but there again, I go back to my parents are old school. Sure. You didn't talk about shit. You didn't, you know, whereas with my kids, my kids, it's an open door. Sure. And it's been that way since they were teenagers. Look, I told my kids, look, I'm not stupid. You guys are going to go out. You're going to try shit. Don't tell me you're not. I'm not an idiot. I asked for one thing. You call me. No questions asked. You call me. We'll talk about it in the morning. But you call me. You know what I mean? That's all I asked. I didn't get that from my parents. It wasn't, you know, it was taboo to try and talk sure. to your parents. At least yeah. for me. I don't know about everybody, but. No, yeah, I'm right there with you. Me, I'm right there with you. And, you know, and I, was, when you say things like um, uh, 
you were mentioning to the fact that it, it wasn't your parents' fault. Um, you know, it's almost it, it, it's like a rock between a rock and a hard place when you recognize. And this is this shows your growth. This shows anybody's growth and maturity when you can get to the point as an adult and you can look back and go, you know, it wasn't really my parents' fault. They were only as good as they were only as good because they only had the tools that they had at the time to do what they needed right. to do. But at the same time, like there's times where I'm like, fuck, but couldn't you have at least said this to me or, or seen or recognized right. this, you know, it's like this, I don't want to blame them, but at the same time you were my, you are my parents. And so I can understand, uh, what you're, what you're alluding to there. Uh, for real quick, explain to me the term. What was it? What was the term you were just using in regards to your wife sipping the the vodka and cranberry and it taking too oh, long? Oh, teetotaling. Teetotaling. What? Tea, what is that? Yeah, <laughs> like, tea, like my grandma. My now, my grandma and my great grandma, when they would get together, it used to be funny. And my great grandma. Now I was little, so I didn't really know, but she was always drinking brandy when when I was little. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah. And my grandma. My grandma, I went over to try and get some of that one time because I was little, didn't know. My grand, my grandma said, no, baby, your great grandma teetotals. We don't teetotal. So I guess it's an old, old school term of, of I don't know if it's drinking or just something Sip to do the, with drinking sipping anything, it. but sipping, okay. sipping the tea or whatever, <laughs> which, but it stuck with me. I always thought it was funny. You know, I, I found out that my grandmother likes a little brandy herself. She's passed now, but uh, I do remember... Um, when she had passed that my, my mom and my aunts and uncles would talk about how she didn't drink. My grandmother wasn't one to drink, but she would, she did like her brandy it's, and it was because yeah. it was nice and warm. It kept her warm. And so that's a, I, I can relate to that. So, okay, let's, let's talk about now, how old are you when, um, you had mentioned that when you go to work. You had to drink before you go to work. So is this is this young oh, I, going to work? Is this twenties? No, no. This is in. I was in my thirties. I, I was in my mid to late thirties. Like I was towards the end of my run. Okay. Sure. Like, wow. It was bad. Like like that was yeah. That was that was mid. I'm gonna say mid to late thirties. That that was where I had to. You know, I I had to drink, and even into my forties, like I had to. But there again, at that point, you know, I had added other things into the combination. What was that? You know what I mean? I was doing I was doing a lot of cocaine. Okay. Um, when I found cocaine, man, cocaine was like, you know, one, it kept me awake. Two, I felt in my stupid thinking, I could drink more because oh, the oh, cocaine wow. like hype leveled the you. Cocaine yeah. took away that shitty drunk buzz and made you feel like Superman. So Wow. I was like, oh shit. I found the wonder thing. I can drink more liquor. Like this yeah. my stupid thinking. You know what I mean? <laughs> it sounds crazy now, but I was straight up thinking this shit back then. You know what I mean? Sure. So I started dabbling with cocaine. Well, I started dabbling a lot with cocaine. Mm. And then it got pretty crazy for a while. I did a lot of coke for a lot of years um how never old, smoke crack or how old were you when you started doing cocaine i pr first time i tried coke was probably like i don't know ninth grade oh wow really first time I tried so we're, we're talking about a yeah. still at a young age you're you're dabbling into a oh, lot yeah, of dude, shit at was, a young age 
oh yeah we was you know i did acid and like you know i dabble with acid mushrooms and hallucinogens now never i never smoked crack okay never smoked heroin or shot any drugs or anything like that like that wasn't that wasn't my scene because you know that's bad for you sure right 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 (laughs) right i know that sounds it sounds crazy but no but you're right because that i would be partying with We'd be like, man, look at that fucking idiot over there jamming needle in his arm as we're over here cutting an eight ball up in the back of the car. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, wow. what's the fucking difference? Gotcha. There's no, if you really want to be serious, what's the difference? You know what I mean? It's different, but it's not different. It's the same shit. It can end up being the same outcome. Gotcha. You know? Yep. But uh, cocaine took over for me, man. That was, once, once, I, once I really started doing the coke, then, and I'm not trying to say like, from my young age on, it was like, it was at the end. I dabbled here and there, but when I got older, uh, probably thirties, early thirties, mid thirties, I really got into a binge with the Coke thing. And that ran until my, until the end. So, I mean, are you, you know, are cocaine, you a father? Are you married and a father at this time in your thirties and forties? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I've been married since I was 20. Okay. Me and- yeah, me and my wife, me and my wife got married at twenty. Like I actually got fake IDs for our wedding gift. <laughs> so get you know out. I mean? yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So we go on our honeymoon and do our thing. But uh, okay. Yeah, shout out hey. to my boys, man. You, know? <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta but, do. Um, <laughs> gotta do what you gotta do. But um, but yeah, like I, you know, and my wife, God love her, man. Like it's like I always say, I never ever cheated on my wife with another woman. I never, never disrespected my wife, never called her names, never put my hands on my wife, but I cheated on my wife and almost ruined my marriage with liquor and drugs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and that kills me to this day to think about that because this is a woman that stood by my side, man, like through thick and thin up and down. And she too made it look like it was a happy home. Like, you know, we both did. You'd see us out in public and think it was the greatest thing since sliced bread, man. I wish we were like that. You know what I mean? I had people like, I think back to when people would say shit like that to me and her and I always loved her, but it got to a point for me where I knew I had to stop, but I didn't know how to stop. And I didn't know if it was going to be worth stopping. Gotcha. If I was worth, if, if I was worth stopping for, if that makes sense to you. No, it does. You know absolutely. what I mean? Like, like I figured, man, I'm to the point now, fuck it. What, what do I got to, what am I going to gain? You know what I mean? I'm 38. I fucked my life up. You know what I mean? And, yeah. And is it worth it? You know what I mean? Does it really make a difference? Does it really matter? And I didn't think I could stop. You know what I mean? But I never gave myself a chance. Was she you know, aware? A lot of it. Was she aware of, of your using oh yeah okay she was oh yeah yeah she was aware of everything i never hid nothing from my wife and she was still she just stayed right by your side that entire time stay right by my side man Mm. still to this day i mean now we're we're more in love now and stronger now than we ever were that's beautiful she's my rock yeah you know and it and it's 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 hard on me sometimes man i think back to days and you know i mean and and shit and i reflect on it differently now like i reflect on more of a uh how can I not be that way? You know what I mean? And I still got idiosyncrasies from back then. Like my temper sometimes, you know, I'm quick to snap and, and you know yeah. what I mean? And, and, and I hate it, but it's, it's a trait that I still got to try and work on. Do you, you know feel, I mean? do you feel like, uh, 
you know, like what, what you're saying there is, I understand that exactly. And I think a lot of men do, but do you feel like because of your history, things like that, that happen in almost any marriage, you know, the man or the woman, uh, you know, snapping because they have a short temper. It, it's a little bit more, it's a little harder on you because you've got this burden and this history that you're like, I can't afford to even do these these little simple mistakes in a marriage because she's already been through so much or, or is it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's partly that. And you know, if I snap and then I get more pissed off because I see him snapping. So now I'm even more fucking mad because I'm, I'm seeing that I'm snapping out Yeah, 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 yeah. when I shouldn't be snapping. You know what I mean? No, so I now, so yeah. now here we go. So now I'm even more fucking mad. And then they're like, why are you so mad? Well, you wouldn't fuck. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's because I'm mad at me. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I still to this day will catch myself not thinking shit through and going straight to 100 mile an hour. You know what I mean? So it's, you know, it's always going to be a work in progress, man. And, I, sure. and sometimes it's hard for me to sometimes it's hard for me to realize that, you know, I got to get kicked in the face a little bit sometimes, step back and go, you know. <laughs> hold up you know what i mean like shit still you know know, even when you have the love of a strong woman it's even it even kicks you in the face harder because you're like man i can't fuck this shit up and i need to get my shit together there's times where i tell myself just just like half hour ago like i told you i was late to setting this up because i couldn't find my notebook and i'm snapping i'm like i just had this fucking notebook (laughs) yesterday i'm writing questions in it where the fuck is this fucking notebook? You know, but yeah. my wife came down and she found it in 10 seconds and I put it on top of somewhere high so I wouldn't fucking lose it. And I fucking forgot that I put it up that high. You're so, like me, man. I, do the same I, I was starting shit. to, I was starting to snap. Hey man, when it comes, like I said, the strength of a woman and the love of, of a woman, I, I understand what you're feeling because it makes everything a little bit more, or a lot more important. It's like I, I can't. I, I, I'm. I get angry, and like you said, I'm looking at myself in third person, going, "You're a fucking moron right now. Just fucking stop." But then that pisses me yeah. off. Yeah. Let's let's start talking about um, your accident because this is. I, I'm assuming that this happens shortly after. You, how old are you when you had your accident? Oh, I was. 30, 38, so 39, late. June 14th, two, June 14th, 2008 is when I had my accident. You were in your um, late 30s. Yeah, I had uh, a, buddy, a buddy of mine throws, you know, was throwing a party and, uh, you know, of course I was going. Um, regardless at this time, by this time I was, I was selling, I was dabbling and selling Coke and I was moving stuff. You know what I mean? Sure. I was making free Coke. So why not? Like, you know, I'm going to make money. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I made free party. I made free party material. money. Yeah. Okay. You know, that whole joke, I, I laugh about it now and it's not even funny, but it kind of is that whole thing where it's like, uh, on Cheech and Chong. Like, I don't know if you ever watched the Cheech and Chong movies back in the day, but yeah. But where where the Sergeant Stadanko was like, the first rule of thumb is never get high on your own supply. 
It's yeah. the truth. Yeah. Because I ain't making no money. You ain't falling <laughs> doing that. <laughs> I don't care what you think you are, but you're not. But uh, I had gone to this party, and I had been drinking all day. Okay. Went to the party, um, was partying all night long, drinking. Now, at this time, um, I had started noticing that I was getting, I was having blackouts when I was drinking. Like, and I didn't even really think about it, but I, I was like now and through the years of, you know, going to counseling and stuff like I, uh, I was, I was, I was a blackout drunk. Like I was to the point where I would drink and I wouldn't remember shit that I did. You know what I mean? Like it was one of the deals where like your buddy would see you the next thing and go, man, you remember what the fuck you did last night? I'd be like, nah, man. Oh, so you, you weren't you know passing I mean? out. You were just literally not remembering after a certain point of time from drinking so much. Oh yeah. Yeah. There, 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 I was on both sides of it. I was passing out. I wasn't passing out and blacking out. Um, but at the party, I'm not exactly, I'm still foggy on shit because here again, it kind of put a divide between people I ran around with and was friends with after this happened. But I got banged up and I called my wife it was like three in the morning and I said, yeah, I'm staying here. I was uh, doing hardscape work at the time and I had to go grade a backyard. So I told her, I said, yeah, I'm leaving straight from here and going to work Saturday morning. Wow. And I'm going to grade this backyard because that's the fuck I did. You know what I right, mean? right. Like that was one thing I always worked through all this. It wasn't like I was some no work guy. Like I labored concrete and did custom countertop work, full-time jobs, you know, for years yeah. together. Um, I left the party at like six in the morning and I don't remember I left and I went out through and I don't remember anything until I woke up and Hershey med like four weeks later handcuffed to the bed. And, uh, I looked down and I had a halo on my leg with rods and pins through it. And my head looked like a watermelon got beat up. I was completely black and blue. Um, and my wife told me they got hit and killed somebody. Mm. And, you know, that was that was how I found out. Um, yeah, man, it was. Uh, it's tough. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it still is, dude. Yeah. Um, I live with it every day. Yeah. I think about it every day. You know, I, I, I wake up and think about her. Found out through my wife that this is what happened. Um, I was, I was banged up. I was DOA twice in that accident. Mm. You know, there was a lot of, and, and here again, it's not about me. No. None of this is about me. And, and I want to, I want to get that point straight across for anybody that listens to this. Sure. I don't want anyone to think like I'm sitting here going, Oh, well me and my, I'm telling you where I was at because right. you'll understand later down when I tell you why I'm saying what I'm saying now, but it isn't about me. Um, but I was injured real bad. Um, it took me a year and a half to learn how to walk again. I had, uh, lots of physical therapy and I'm saying that because I did get a lawyer, which my lawyer beknownst to me was trying to get me to fight, fight it, saying that I had a issue with my car and that's why I went into the other lane and I'm looking at my lawyer going, I wrecked at eight 30 in the morning. They took my blood at 10 and I was still three times the legal limit. Mm. There's no fighting. I told him, I said, I'm not fighting. I'm pleading guilty. 
and he argued with me for a long time. Like he would get things continued and this and that. Now he, they, they did let me get better to where I was not in a wheelchair anymore. And then I started going through the court process with this, um, which really wasn't too much. He had it continued four or five times, which it got to the point where I was, I told him I'm calling the judge and I'm going to get rid of you. And I'm going to go in by myself because one, I have a three-year-old daughter. I have a nine-year-old son who I get prepared that I'm getting ready to leave because I, I did not lie to my children Okay, where I was going. Wow. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't lie to my kids about, oh, I'm going to work for a few years. No, I, I didn't lie to my family. I don't, you know, I didn't, I felt that that would be more damaging to them if I would have done that than if I'd have been serious and honest with them. Sure. So I would get them prepared and then I, I go to, I go in like getting ready to go and they continue and it'd be continue for another four months. So oh, I had wow. to go through this like four times with my family. And I finally, I'd had, it. and I told him, I said, look, I said, if you continue it one more time, I'm calling the judge and I go in by myself. I don't care. You know, I didn't fight it. I, I pled guilty from the gate. Um, but yeah, man, it was, uh, it, it was, it was tough. It's still tough. You know, I'm not the type of person that means ill will or harm to anybody. Like, you know, I, I got a conscience and, 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 and I, and I, and I have a heart and, you know, it kills me to think about what I did to this day. It kills me to think about what I did, mm. you know, can you hear me? You, you froze a little bit as well. Yeah, now I can. There you go. So there for a minute. Um, where was I? Yeah. So, I mean, so I get out of the hospital and, um, as soon as I get out of the hospital, a friend of mine from years prior who I used to drink with, we were drinking buddies. He called me and he had disappeared like two years prior to that. He called me and he said, I'm picking your ass up and I'm taking you to a meeting. Oh, wow. I said, the fuck you mean I'm taking you to a meeting? He said, I'll be at your fucking house. And he's a big dude. Now I was in a wheelchair with, no, I wasn't doing shit. You know what I mean? Right. And sure enough, he came and threw me in the car and uh, he took me to a meeting when I got home from the hospital. And I was like, you know, of course I was, I ain't going to a fucking meeting. These people won't know nothing, this and that, blah, blah, blah. I was, I didn't know how to handle my feelings. I wanted to kill myself. I wished I'd have died in that accident. I don't know how many times. Um, you know, I, I think subconsciously I tried to fucking kill myself with pain meds when I came home from the hospital. I had to detox off of that. I laid in bed for like a week detoxing off of that because I just ate them. Mm. I was on all kinds of pain medication. And I think subconsciously I just wanted to die. I felt like I'd be better off. Everyone would be better off. Um, I don't think that way now, but at the moment I did. But he took me to a, my first meeting and we got in there. And the first thing I hear is, hey, welcome. And I get a big hug. And I, now I'm looking around the room and people are drinking coffee and laughing, and having a good time. And I'm like, this is a fucking AA meeting. I'm supposed to come get help with you happy motherfuckers. Like, what the fuck do you have to be happy about? You know what I mean? So I was even more mad. Gotcha. It was, it was a speaker meeting. And uh, the guy that spoke actually became my first sponsor. Um, he told my story. And I was pissed because I connected with everything that man said because it was me. Mm. You know what I mean? And yeah. I didn't want to believe it. I didn't. I still didn't want to believe it. 
Um, but yeah, so after that, I started going to meetings, um, and he became my sponsor and it was rough, man. Cause I tried to, you know, I tried to bullshit my way through things and, and, uh, he didn't let me, he was a hard ass and he was old school, but that's what I needed. You know, I was looking subconsciously. I was hoping this guy was going to be soft so I can manipulate my way around because growing up, I got away with everything. I could talk my way out of anything. I got away with everything. I never got caught. So I always felt invincible in life. You know what I mean? I never felt like there was a, uh, uh, there was no consequence for me because I'm going to get away with it. Sure. You know I mean? That's how I live my life. And it's, it's a false, it's a false thought. You know what I mean? It really is. Um, is that, is that thought, that thinking of I, I'm invincible, and uh, I bring that up because when you're in an AA meeting for the first time and you're hearing people say your story and you're telling yourself, why am I here? Are you subconsciously in the back of, of your, uh, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to say, how can I word this? Cause sometimes I do this and I'm listening to you and I'm wondering how would I act if I'm in an AA meeting, are you confronting with your own demons as soon as you're in your first AA meeting, but you're not allowing yourself to, and that's what's provoking the anger along with hearing somebody speak and they're saying everything that you, that you've done. And so now you're kind of having to confront yourself. Do you think that's what you were going through? Or is it just, you were just obviously just dealing with a bunch of emotions at the time and you just were just angry. No, I think, uh, I think it was a combination. I do. You know what I mean? Like when you see, it's hard to explain this. People understand like everything that man said is everything I felt deep down inside that I, I wasn't man enough to fucking say myself. Right. That's what I about was getting myself. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And like it pissed, like I wanted to punch him in the fucking mouth. Like sure. I told my boy, I said, if you don't get me out of here and he's laughing, he's going, Motherfucker, you're in a wheelchair with your leg in four pieces. The fuck are you gonna do? Shut up and sit there and listen. Yeah. Shut your mouth and open your ears. That's what he kept telling me. Shut your mouth and open your fucking ears. And um, you know, I think it was just that. Like it, it was it was a slap. It made me realize that, you know, I'm not as tough or as bad as I think I am because I'm fighting what's inside of me. So guide me through this one one more time here. You have you have a process in which um, your lawyer is trying to stretch this out and trying and trying to get you off. You are essentially saying the opposite. You're telling him no. Yeah. Uh, how long does that? You said it happened at least uh, three or four times. Four I months in between. In, I didn't go in until 2010. Okay, so what's this? A two years after the accident, about? Yeah, um, it wow. took me. It took me a year. It took me a year to walk freely mm -hmm. again, um, and then it took another year until I finally started doing my time. When I did my time for that. Oh, oh, you did your time. So, you did your time first, and then you did AA after that. No, no, no. I oh, started okay. my AA as soon as I got home. I, okay. I had two years sober. Before I went, before I went to prison, I had two years of sobriety. When did you go to When did you go to prison? Two thousand ten. Oh, okay. So it is twenty ten. Okay. Yeah. And where did you so go? Where I did you go? In, um. Well, when you go, 
I, I did all my time in Camp Hill. Okay. Um, now, Camp Hill is what they call a processing center. It's a level five maximum security prison because half the jail is inmates that are doing their time there. And basically, like, no matter where you are in the state of Pennsylvania, wherever you do your crime, you have to go through Camp Hill to get classified. And that's where they classify you and they ship you out to other prisons all over the state. So, like, even if you live in Erie and you catch a case, you have to go to Camp Hill first to go through classification. And then they ship you out wherever you're going to go, depending on your level, what you're, you know what I mean? Things like that. So, but Camp Hill is a level five maximum because of, because of it being a classification prison. So it's like the highest, you know, it's the high, it's a maximum security prison. So I did my, I did my three years there, which it sucked. I mean, I could have definitely probably went to a more boozy, bougie, you know, Mm -hmm. level two bullshit prison but i'd never seen my family okay you know what i mean so i, I did I, I was i was blessed i was blessed and cursed with doing my time at camp hill if that makes sense mm-hmm. because i got to see my because you know there again back to my wife she never missed a visit in three years wow never never she was there every week for three years she had she didn't have to be you know I I wrote so many letters when I was locked up that I didn't send to her. Like, you know, if you leave, I understand. Mm. I've put you through so much, but yet you still stay. You know Mm. what I mean? And Mm -hmm. I don't know all like what people had said to her when I was locked up because, you know, people are ignorant, dude. Sure. Absolutely. And and here's the thing. I don't get mad at what anybody thinks or says about me because what I did could have been prevented. Okay. First and foremost. What I did was my own fault. Nobody else's. Nobody for, you know, I, I didn't, I made the choice. Right. Nobody else made the choice. Everything that happened in that event was my fault. No one else's. There's no one to blame. I, I you know, I don't, I, I can't blame this or that, or I had a bad day at work, or it was my fault because I got behind the fucking wheel. You know what I mean? And in return, you got to realize, I had to realize you know, yeah, my drinking affected my family, but my, now my drinking has really affected my family. I'm I'm taken away from my family. I'm taken away from my kids. They have to live with whatever the bullshit little talk is because, yeah, yeah. you know, even to this day, I still get that, dude. And they're going to hear it. Even to this day, I still yeah. get that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and... You know, it just, it was, it was rough, man, but she, she stuck by my side, you know what I mean? And, and there again, as soon as I got in, um, I got hooked up with guys that are in the AA, you know, they have AA up in upstate and we had a real solid group upstate of AA and NA. Um, I also got involved with some different groups when I was up there and we were actually, I actually got involved with, um, a group outside that dealt with kids, teenage kids that had behavioral issues and drug issues and home life issues and this and that. And I would correspond with these kids. Okay. And through the counselor on my block, I was actually able to bring them kids into state prison and have a meet with them. We, we went up to where like the families come in to a certain room to go down to the visiting room to, to visit their people. 
So on a day that they didn't have visits, we brought all the kids into that room. And then me and two guys, one guy was doing life and the other guy was doing double life plus a hundred years. These are guys I ran with when I was in there. I know it sounds fucking crazy, but that's, wow. that's what you do. They were in AA and NA with me. And the three of us had a two hour meeting with these kids and broke it down to them because these kids wrote me and I still had letters in the house mm. and uh, they wrote me and they were telling me about their issues and how they're this and they're that and prison don't fucking scare me. These 16 year old kids tell me, man, fuck prison. I go in there and I'll run that shit and I run the streets and this and that, you know, and then the kids walk in the door and I'm expecting like, you know, football linebackers talking to me like this in a letter. And I'm looking at a hundred, uh, 110 pound wet with a winter coat and boots on telling me how he's going to come in here and, and fuck shit up. And before we did it, I wanted to make it crystal clear. We get to talk how we want to talk. Okay. And we're going to do it how we want to do it. Or we're not going to do it. I'm not going to have you, you know, dictate us. when well, no, we can't. Talk right. It, it loses, it loses its, its effect. I'm sure you don't get right. the point across the way right. you want it to. You want to. And it wasn't, it wasn't like we went in there like scared straight and, and, you know, okay. made some right. big yeah. TV fucking show. But, you know, we told him straight up, you know, them, that guy, that kid started talking tough and the lifer that I was doing time with was, was one of my bunkies. He stood up and he told me, he said, man, he said, I'm going to be honest with you. He said, I'll pimp your ass out. Your mommy, daddy's going to put money on my books or my, guys on the block are going to fuck you. And that's how it's going to go. You know what wow. I mean? And, and everybody just shut the fuck up. And the kid looked at him and smirked. And he said, man, I'm doing two life sentences plus 100 fucking years. What do I got to lose? Mm. And that shut the kid down. Okay. You know what I mean? And we weren't screaming at him or yelling at him, but we were just real matter of factly like, you know, you ain't built for this shit. It ain't yeah. worth it. Yeah. You know, and, and I still keep in contact with some of them people today. And some of them kids are doing good and some ain't. So, Jerry, talk you know. to me. Talk to me real quick about... Um, I want to go back again. Pardon me. What's what is your wife's name? Danelle. Danelle. And the reason the reason why I ask is because she's coming up often. So I just want to refer to her periodically by her name because Danelle, as we mentioned before, very strong uh, to stand by your side. And she's holding down the fort while you're in prison. Talk to me about you wrote letters uh, that you didn't uh, send her. Uh, and you understood if she wanted to leave and you understood that uh, your kids were probably going to hear things more than likely. And so was your wife. Oh, yeah. Talk to me about being in prison, not being able to stop any of that from happening, knowing that it's happening and still having uh, the love and compassion of your wife to show up every time. I, it, it's, it still boggles my mind. I've asked her, I used to ask her, you know, how do you still love me the way you love me? And she said, cause I still know the guy that I married, mm. which used to fucking crush me every time she said that, you know what I mean? Because I was still that person deep down inside, you know what I mean? But the drugs and the alcohol put a blanket over that shit. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I wasn't me, you know what I mean? I was still there, but I wasn't there. And I mean, she, you know, I, I don't know how she did it, bro. Yeah. She's my, my wife's a hustler. 
My mm. wife, straight up, my wife's a hustler. She, she, she makes shit happen. You know what I mean? Like, she's the backbone. Yeah. I, I ain't got no qualms, and I, I, you know, ain't no man bullshit here. Ain't no, 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 no. I'm the man. No, fuck that. that. My wife, my wife is the rock, man. And and you know, I don't know too many people like her. Yeah. You know what I mean? She's um, she's very, she's very much in connection with God which is something I never was Okay. growing up. We didn't go to church. We didn't have, I didn't have any of that growing up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's something I need to work on to this day. I need to work on that. Sure. I'm not, there ain't no qualms about me saying that either. It's something I got to work on. Um, but yeah, she, uh, you know, she, she didn't, she didn't let it, she didn't let it affect her. And if she did, she didn't show it. Mm. And I know that, if the kids were hearing things, my wife would steer them away from it or work away for them not to, you know, hear it. But I mean, this has all affected my children mm-hmm. and my relationships. And, you know, I mean, I'm me and my son are having to build our relationship. You know, my son's 27, just got his doctorate. I mean, it's, wow. you know, which is congratulations. A thing, but, yeah. But, but we have a connection that we need to work on to this day. And it may take time and it will take time, but I'm, I'm not forcing anything. I'm letting him, you know, we're, we're working on it. So, I mean, we love each other. It's not like we don't love each other. No, but, but I understand. The connection isn't there. Sure. Sure. And that's, you seem to you know, be understanding. He missed, he missed out. Sure. He missed out on dad. Sure. And his most important parts of his life. Sure. I came home. I came home the year he graduated. So, you know, oh, wow. from, okay. from high school. Gotcha. So I wasn't there for high, the school. high school years. Yeah. He missed a very important part of my life, you know, and I missed a very important part of his life. So it's like we still have to learn about each other and, and work on that. And we do. You know what I mean? It, it's slow, but like I said, we, we love each other. My daughter, my daughter was younger. So my daughter missed some younger years, but she got to have me home for the high school years. You know what I mean? And, and it, it kills me. Mm. You know, I feel like I failed as a man and as a father mm-hmm. because I wasn't there for my son, but I was there for my daughter. Yeah. So then I get, I get in my own head where, you know, how does my son look at that? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I, I know it's not like any hate thing, but it's just the fact of, you know, she got this, she got to get what he did. And it kills me. It kills me, man. Like that really does eat me up. Well, I know? think. I think also. I, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Well, I, I'm just saying. It just it. It tears me up. I feel like, um, as you know, fathers with sons and daughters, um, because I also have I have one boy and I have three daughters. Now my oldest. She's going to be 19 and my son's going to be 15. I can understand that, you know, it's almost as if daughters are a little bit more, uh, It's uh, dare I say, the motherly instinct in them. They're, they're more nurturing. They're more forgiving in a way. The boys, yeah. the boys are, are, they're like, like my son is like me. And so when he holds things in and when he's angry, especially if I know it's because of me, 
it's like I already know what's going through this kid's mind because he's thinking like I'm thinking. My he's a young yeah, right. And so you, as a father, you yep. hold you hold that like you check yourself a lot quicker with your boys, and it's not fair. But you're like I I recognize yeah. right away if my son is upset, uh, and it's because of me. Damn, that hits me. That hurts. My daughter tends to be a little bit more maybe forgiving or understanding. And so I it's yeah. hard you don't want to take advantage of that. and that listen, I'm talking about my experience as a father dealing with the everyday bullshit. You have that, but then you're also coupling that with right. post-prison uh experience. What you said is point on. What you said is point on right there. And 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 it's true like no matter the situation, you know you you know your kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you can read it when they can't. You know what I mean? And you're point on right there. That's, right. You know, and it kills me, dude. It kills me. Because my son acts, my son does just like I do. He shuts down and he buries it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, he, and he's like a layer of an onion that I got to slowly, hopefully, you know, peel away. And, and we get, you know, because we miss that bonding time. That teenage bonding time when you when you bond and and you know you grow together and he missed all that he got cheated out of that and it's nobody's fault but my own. Jerry, how do you go about now knowing this? Um, you know, you said your son just got his doctorate. He's twenty seven years old and he's a young man. Is this like a a daily thing where you're just going to take any moment you have with your children? And just oh, yeah. try, yeah. I, I would think, yeah. Oh yeah, because oh, you yeah, don't, you, you have a lot to make up for, so you're just taking any opportunity you have. Every opportunity I got, you know, and and it, it's a work in progress, man. And I can't, you know, it's not something like I can just go, okay, it's going to be all better now. Yeah. It's not. That's not how it works. It's not, it's this is real life. This isn't a TV show, and you know what I mean. And a half hour, everybody's back in love again, and. You know, and I don't want to make it sound like we don't love each other because we do. No, we no, no, but, but you're very love. real. Well, that's no, a, that's a natural thing that you're talking about, dude. That doesn't sound like I mean, you, you know, they don't love you. They, it's it, something you got to work for. Yeah, absolutely. Well, no, I know that, but I'm just, you know, I know me and you were on the same wavelength. I just wanted to make sure. I think, like, I think people that are listening right now um, with children, married, or, I mean, regardless, I, I think they would understand, especially those with children, they understand that. You know, it's like it's like a daily grind. It's a with children and you're I can only imagine. Like I like I said, I, I'm talking about a fa- I'm a father that's dealing with the day in, day in and day out. And I, I, I could not understand. I couldn't even begin to imagine what it would be like to have the burden of knowing I was gone for a certain amount of time because of a, of a choice that I made that affected not just me. It affected my family. It affected somebody, people that I don't even know. And yeah. this is a daily, it, it's, you know, when, when we talked about doing this interview and you and I both wanted to make sure that it was clear and you had mentioned that you alluded to this already, uh, we're not. This isn't like a, you know, dare I say, like a hands across America for Jerry, but we right. are. We want to acknowledge that yes, that there was a victim, uh, and 
you have consistently made that clear to me before we recorded this. You've made it clear several times. But I think it's also important with that in mind that we acknowledge that, you know, it's pretty cool to see growth in people. It's it's inspiring. And if if somebody can look at this and learn from it, if somebody can hear what you're saying and can relate, especially you're I mean, you have a unique story because there's a lot of people that don't have um, the support system that you have like Danelle has been by you by your side from the very beginning yeah you know what I mean I didn't have that support I don't know if I'd be sitting here right now right and I'm gonna be dead ass honest with you on that I don't Mm -hmm. know if I'd be sitting here right now I really Mm -hmm. don't um if I wouldn't have got sober I guarantee I'd have been dead years ago because I was on that path um the drinking would have killed me the drinking and the drugging would have killed me I guarantee it like what I said to you earlier about how um you know, I don't want to make this sound like this is about me. Right. And all this and that. Like we had when I was when I was locked up, um, we had what you could do was called a victim impact statement where you can write a letter to the family. Oh wow. And and what'll happen is is the uh, victim advocates of Pennsylvania will have those letters. And if the family would choose to call them, they won't let them know. But oh. the family chooses to get a hold of the victim advocate. They will let them know that I wrote a letter, and if they would like to read it, they can. And um, I wrote – I was in a – I had to do programs when I was locked up, and uh, the one program was six months long. It was, it, was, it was a great program. I learned a lot about life in that program um, and about myself. But when I did the letter, I had my counselor read it, and uh, – he said, not one spot in here did you ask for forgiveness from the family. I said, I can't. I said, what right do I have to ask them for anything? Mm. And he just kind of looked at me and said, I don't have a right to ask them for shit at all. I have a right to tell them how I feel and where I'm at and my thoughts and my feelings. But for me to ask them forgiveness, they don't owe me anything. I think I, and this is my own personal feeling. This isn't, you know, it's, you know, everybody thinks differently and, and I don't look down on anybody or anything like that, but I think anybody that did what I did and would turn around and ask that family forgiveness is a sucker Mm. because what fucking right do they have to forgive you for fucking anything? Mm -hmm. And what right do you have to ask them for that? Now I can ask my higher power for forgiveness. I can ask my family for forgiveness, but I, 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 you know, but nobody owes me forgiveness. That's the thing, you know, and, and my counselor had to like think on that shit for a minute because I fucked him up when I said it. <laughs> and he was like, you know, it's a real profound thing to say. And I said, but it's the truth. It's the truth. I said, put, I always try, always try to put myself in that family's shoes. Right. Okay. Like, like, they're me and I'm them. And I, and I, and I would do this and I would wordplay with myself and write things down. And I'd be like, man, I want to fucking stab this motherfucker. If he's, if he, you know, but I don't feel like they don't owe me anything. I owe them everything. Okay. They're yeah. there. There's yeah. where I'm at with it. You know, like we've talked before, you know, you said I'm a, I'm a private person and, and I'm a private person, but I'm very strong about 
if this podcast hits one person and stops them from drinking and driving, then I've done something positive out of the, out of the negative. Sure. And, and that's, and, and that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm trying to hopefully have a positive out of the negative. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And also clear the air. Cause you know, as well as you know, everybody wants to talk and everybody thinks they know, but they don't fucking know. So now, you know, now they if know. you don't know now, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I, I just, I just, you know, I wanted, I wanted to, I really wanted to do this, not for me, but just, you know, just if it helps somebody. Well, that's one know? of the things that I, I could tell, uh, you know, over the years working with you and then, you know, obviously now talking these last couple days is that you really have a profound sense of responsibility to do the right thing. And it's not like you're a martyr or trying to be one. You're just blatantly and brutally honest with being as vulnerable as possible right now. And I don't know if that makes any sense. I feel like, I feel like, you know, I told you this the other day, I said, you know, um, you served your time. You, you are, the judgment that is bestowed upon you is with you and God, or if anybody else doesn't believe in that, it's, it's with you and whoever, but you don't have to be doing this, but you're doing it because you feel like it's your duty and you want to do the right thing. And I feel like you've utilized the time that you've had um, since, since uh, you were, came out of prison, you've been utilizing it the right way. And even when you were in prison, it was, I, I thought it was really interesting that you uh, immediately jumped on opportunities to talk to the youth or get involved in programs um, that were benefiting somebody or yourself. Is that, is that something that you, as soon as you got there, you were like, I'm looking for that. Or was that brought to your attention? And that's when you were like, Oh no, I need to get, that's what I need to do. It was brought to my attention when I got there. Um, I was in classification side for, I think it was like three or four weeks and they classified me to stay at Camp Hill. So when I got classified, I was classified as a level three, which level, level five is, is the most dangerous. And then level one is obviously the lowest. So I was level three. I was right in the middle. Um, so I went to a level three block now level three block has you know different levels of people you know what i mean they got guys that come out from level five go to you know sometimes as their levels drop they'll go down so you got some dangerous fucking people i mean it's it's state prison i don't give a fuck what anybody says um but my first sally was a lifer so my first experience walking into state prison (laughs) to have a bunkie was a guy that's that's already done 38 years of a life sentence oh my so um it was a Muslim Muslim dude. Um, still keep in contact to the day. Oh wow! Because okay. this is a guy that this is a guy that's had no family visits in thirty years. Mm. Now imagine being doing your time and not having not one person from the outside come home come in in thirty years. He um he told me he showed me the ropes. He said you stay away from the gambling, you stay away from the borrowing, you stay away from the drugs, you stay away from the bullshit. He said. You get yourself involved. He 
he said, and you go to the fucking gym. And he said, that's where you're going to, he said, that's where you're going to learn where people are at. And that's exactly what I did. I followed that guy's lead. I didn't gamble. I didn't borrow. I didn't barter. I didn't do none of that bullshit. And I stayed away from the bullshit as much as I possibly could. You know what I mean? But I, in that return, he guided me with dudes that were in there for a long time that, you know, I, I, I stayed tight with people and I, I didn't go in there cocky. I didn't go in there like a lot of these dudes, like, you know, I looked at some of these cats that were in there, man. And a lot of these dudes were young. There was some young, there was dudes in there 16, 17 years old, getting ready to do life sentences, man. You know what I mean? Like it's a very eye opening experience prison. And, you know, sometimes I feel like I think they should take people for a month and make them do a month of time Mm. to like really appreciate what the fuck they got out here on the outside. You know what I mean? what choices they can make and what they can do and, and family and when they can see them and when they can't see them and, you know, and, and get an appreciation for what freedom's all about. Yeah. And the choices that you make, the choices that you make in life can fuck your freedom. You know what I mean? Cause there ain't no freedom up in there. Yeah. It's, it's not, I mean, you make the best of a bad situation and that's what we used to say in there. We're making the best of a bad situation. Because we tried to make the best of a, of, of a bad set being locked up. You know what I mean? But you sure. still lock the fuck up. It's, you know, but they guided me, man, with a lot of things. And they kept me strong with the AA and they kept me strong with the NA. And I, I think had I not gravitated towards that kind of shit, I'd have been in a world of trouble in there. Mm. You know, because I would have got into the gambling table and I would have got into the bartering table and I would have got into the running this and doing that and, you know, and, and things of that nature. And that's what gets you in trouble in there, you know, running your mouth and trying to run a game and, you know, and trying to run a scam in there gets you in trouble. Once you found a, once you found a routine and you stuck to it, you know, I I don't want to say that the time went fast, but do you feel that it was a little bit more bearable to do the time once you had your. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was as bearable as it's going to be. Right. That's what I mean. You know what I mean? mean? Yeah. Like you, you kind of, I kind of, I, I kind of, it, it was, it was hard for me. And I know my wife didn't understand it and, and my kids didn't understand it, but I was the type of person I had to kind of disconnect myself from the outside world as to being in the prison world. Because like, sure. you know, there were certain times like certain shit like that when they would come visit. I'd be, it'd fucking kill me, dude, for like a week because I would, I, I would try and disconnect myself from the outside world as much as I possibly could. And it, it sounds harsh and it sounds horrible to somebody that doesn't understand what I'm saying. But if you don't do that, you're going to have, it's going to be bad, man. Yeah. Cause you've got to try and maintain a level of that makes sense mental stability. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I watch dudes hang the fuck up over family shit. I've seen it. Mm. You know what I mean? Like people hung up all the time Mm. over family shit over. They get that bad visit or they get that visit at Christmas time and it would break them. You know what I mean? Like Mm. going to the meetings and the gym were like the two biggest things that kept me focused while I was locked the fuck up. 
And I got, I, I just, I got myself together with a bunch of dudes that like to bang weight, and 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 that's what we did. We shoveled the yard in the wintertime to go hit the fucking weight pile. Like that was the kind of shit we did. You know what I mean? Like it, it was a mental thing to try and keep you level. You said you kept, you keep in touch with your first Sally. Do you keep in touch with anybody else from there, or is it just him? There are actually. Um, there's about eight or nine guys, man, that are all out. that are all doing very well oh, right cool. now for themselves. Um, Good. Five of them have started their own businesses. And, you know, and my one boy, now I don't know if you're familiar with the Philly area, but uh, my one boy's down in Kensington. Okay. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of Kensington. He mm-hmm. opened up a barbershop down in Kensington and is killing it down there. Oh, and wow. he's doing a lot for the community. And you know what I mean? Like everyone thinks of prison is like, oh, man, everybody's this and everybody's that. Half a prison is a lot of dudes that just made some bad fucking choices in their life and they're paying the consequences. And the other half is a bunch of dudes that should never see the fucking light of day. And, and that's the truth. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the God honest truth. There's a lot of dudes in there that made bad choices in life. Bottom line. But there's also a lot of dudes that should never, ever see the light of day in that place. You know? So, but yeah, I mean, there's. I keep in contact. I do. I do keep in contact with a group of dudes, but I keep in contact with the dudes that are doing good. Okay. Okay. You know I mean? Yeah. I keep in contact with the cats that call me up and write ah uh, money. And it, no, I don't keep in contact with them dudes. I keep in contact with the cats that are doing good. Well, that's you know? cool. That's cool. They're really you, Yeah, you've got different. a you've got a like a friendship, uh, a bond. Of, like a, is it like a brotherhood? Are you that close, or is it? Yeah. Like, yeah. Because that's all we. I mean, had. I would think. Yeah. I mean, for three years, that that was all you had. Let's talk about uh, um, where you are now. And, um, you know, when I met you, I had no idea any of this had taken place. And obviously, rightfully so, because it's not my business, one. And two, you were never one to really talk about it. You never really did. But right. when I, I also was like, I would have never thought because you never come off as somebody that is careless you're very careful you're very concerned you have this bravado about you that's like hey it's not just me and so i feel like i would i would like to talk about where you are now and do you feel like everything that you've been through brought you to where you are or was this was that always the kind of person you were but prison just really made you appreciate who you are because I feel like we can go through things and appreciate life and appreciate people. But very rarely do you take the time to be like, I made a bad decision, but I'm not a bad fucking person. I actually have good qualities that I would like to amplify. I think, I think years ago I was on point with feeling I was a good person and, and, you know, and this and that. And I think I got, blindsided by doing the drugs and the drink because I didn't give a fuck about nothing else. I didn't care about, you know, what happened or, or anything like that. I didn't give a shit about anything. I just wanted to go party. I think prison brought that back to me of who I am. But I think also that it made me have a new appreciation mm. for things because it's really easy to be at home on your couch watching your TV going, Man, my fucking life sucks. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's real easy to get the woe is me bullshit when you when, when you got a fucking job and you're doing this and you're doing that. But 
when you're making, you know, 40 cents a fucking day working eight hours a day for a shit job and you got a bunk with four other dudes and a five by nine mm. and you know what I mean? And you're told when you eat, you're told when you sleep, you're told when you do this, you ain't got no fucking grass. You ain't got, like you learn, yeah. like you learn to appreciate the little things in life. You learn to appreciate um, the human contact. You learn to appreciate someone else's thoughts and feelings that, you know, you ain't number one. It ain't all the fuck about you. This world revolves around everybody, not just one person. You know what I mean? So I think I think prison taught me a lot about that, about, you know, respecting and appreciating things and, and trying to maybe make people understand, you know, there's a lot more to appreciate in life than you think there is. You know what I mean? You, you, you take for granted the smallest little thing in the world. Like I told, like I told this story one time when I came home, um, my wife, you know, I got home and, and, and my wife's like, well, what do you want to do? I said, man, I want to go to grocery store. I'll go to fucking grocery store. I want to pick out this and that. We walked around giant for 45 minutes, Felix. And I didn't have nothing in the fucking cart. Mm. Cause I didn't know what the fuck to grab. Cause I ain't had that kind of a fucking, yeah. I, I, I didn't have that ability to pick mm. and choose. There was so much to pick and choose. Like it was little shit like that. Like, yeah. you know, it, it was little things like that. That was like, Whoa, you know, it started clicking in my mind and I started thinking about things. And, and that was the kind of stuff that, you know, made me appreciate a lot more in life. You know, people take grant, people take for granted a lot of things, you know, and, and sometimes I wish people would sit back and like really, reflect on what they have you know my my i feel blessed as to where i'm at right now in my life even with the surgeries and all that because i've gone from losing everything and when i mean everything i mean a house my jobs my money having to go rent a fucking house you know trying to find a place before i got locked up for my family like i lost everything and i've got it pretty good now you know what i mean now, i busted my balls to get where i'm at but sure you know, I feel lucky that I had the second chance to do that because mm-hmm. in all rights, I shouldn't have, you know what I mean? So gotcha. I don't, I don't take, I don't, uh, I don't know, man. I take it real serious. You know, I, I joke around a lot and I goof off a lot. You know that man, we bust balls and joke all the time at work, but I take it real, real serious. I just don't broadcast it because it's not everybody's cup of tea. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you just got to kind of, you know, do that. But I'm right now, man, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed, man. I've got good friends like you and, and people in my life that care. And mm-hmm. I still have my family and my wife and you know, that the main connect is there, man. And that's, that's all I could ever ask for. You when know? you it ain't when, about money with me, man. It's about just being comfortable. When you put in the consideration, everything um, that we've discussed here and, and, you know, I think we're going on an, over an hour now, and it's it's flown by in my oh, opinion. Yeah, we, yeah I, I've just been loving. Yeah. I've been loving this conversation, but um, I know, and and Me I'm too. sure people. I think people listening know that there's obviously way more in your life uh, that we didn't discuss. But when you consider it all, and you consider, um, you know, you consider the price that you paid. And you consider where you are now. How do you go about dealing with um, 
the 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 constant reminder of what you went through and how do you try to put yourself in a, in today's day and today's time how do you put yourself not at peace with it but how do you cope with it so that you can continue to live uh the life that you're living now because i can only imagine that there are people that can't do that and there are people that that um, suffer you my advice to those people is is quit acting like billy badass and go to a fucking meeting mm. get with somebody that get with somebody that um is going to be tough on you get with somebody that's going to call you on your bullshit because I know I'm the type of person that I'm going to, you know, I can be like a predator in them rooms, man. And I, and I smell out the easy dude, mm-hmm. the guy that's a little bit softer, a little bit kinder, because I can manipulate that motherfucker any way I want. So that way I don't have to really be real with me. Uh. You, know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's it's about, it's, a you know, you got to get somebody that's going to make you be real and make you really look in the mirror. You know, there's certain steps that you have to do with AA and uh, one of the steps is like a reflection type step. And, and it was the first time I felt like I cleansed myself a little bit, if that makes sense. Like sure. I, I really got some shit out um, as far as how I deal with it on a day to day. I wake up every morning and I say a prayer for her and her family. I go to bed every night and I say a prayer for her family. I don't say it out loud. I don't say it around other people. I say it to myself. Gotcha. The toughest thing, the toughest thing is forgiving yourself. There's a biggie. Forgiving yourself. Yeah. People don't think about it, but when you really try and forgive yourself for some bullshit, it's hard. It makes you think about shit. That was my downfall was I could never forgive myself. And I had people tell me that I'll never grow and get better until I can do that. And it took a long time. And dude, Dude, there's days I still struggle with it. Yeah. You know, when June, when June 14th comes around, yeah, it's a real hard time for me. And I can, uh, I can imagine. Yeah. And, and to this day, because I put myself in the position of her children. I put myself in the position of her kids, of her family, of, you know, I couldn't, I, I had a real hard struggle with why am I still here? You know what I mean? Like, I, I just, I really had a hard struggle with that and I could never forgive myself. But once I finally forgave myself, I started growing and I started easing up on myself and things started easing up. I think about it every day. I don't sit and, and sulk on it anymore so, all the time. I mean, I have my days, but sure. But I, you know, I'm, I'm blessed. I have I have a strong family. My wife can read me like a book. You know, what I mean, she knows when something's up. You know, and and I don't always talk to her either. And and I and it, there's things I still need to grow on. You know what I mean? I'm I'm still I still get myself where I'm like, man, I just I keep it in. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yep. I couldn't, but that's just that dumb man shit, I guess. <laughs> no, I just that's you know what we what do, mean? dude. Like, that's right. You know what I mean? We got to be strong. Got to be strong. Always got to be strong. Can't be vulnerable. You know what I mean? But um, as far as anybody listening to this, man, like, reach out. Yeah. You know, if, 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 if it's easier, if you, if you feel it's easier to talk to me because you kind of know me or even if you don't know me, I'm open. Yeah. I have no problem night or day talking to somebody. I do it all the time. Um, but definitely, you know, 
the, the, the number one rule though I'm going to say here with all this is um, you're not going to get sober for your kids. You're not going to get sober for your wife. You're not going to get sober for your job. You're not going to get sober for your parents. You're not going to get sober for society until you finally want to get sober for yourself. All that bullshit, you ain't going to do it. It's not going to fucking happen until you get real for you. And that's, that's my, that's my outlook on it. If you don't, if you don't do it for you, you know, when you say, oh, well, I'm going to do it for my kids, your kids ain't going to benefit from it until you do it for you. Mm -hmm. When you get sober for yourself, everybody else benefits because it's, you're doing it for you and it goes out. Um, June 14th, 2008. That's when the date was correct. Yep. So that's 13 years. So 13 years, look where you are now. Um, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I got a lot of respect for you. I appreciate, I, I can, I, I appreciate people letting their guard down for the right reasons. And you're not, you're doing it for the right reasons. And I commend you. I, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, thank you for reaching out to me to do this because, you know, I had thought of you, but it's, it, I always respect people's privacy especially with something why, as serious as this you know what i mean that's why i came to you because i respect you and um you're a solid dude man and and as soon as i've seen that you were doing it i was like man this it could help somebody sure you know what i mean it wasn't about being on a podcast it wasn't about it, it ain't about that with me man you know what i mean it's yeah, about yeah. trying to help somebody else out you know and, I, and like i said you know i don't talk about this shit at work I don't, I don't talk about it much, you know, certain people know at yeah. work, but a lot didn't. And if you can't get a positive out of this or you look at me differently for what happened, cool. Like, that's your choice. Like, I can't force you to like me. I can't force you to feel a certain way. And I used to get mad about that shit. You know what I mean? Sure. But who am I? I'm just another dude walking the earth, man. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. everyone's going to have their opinions. And if, if my story changes your opinion about me, well, then, okay, so be it. Then we, you know, fine, you know, but I, I just, I feel like, I feel like not enough people sometimes do come out in a, in a, in a program like this or a situation like this, where maybe you're not even knowing it, but you're helping three people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I feel I feel there's a lot of guys out there that have stories like mine and worse mm. that could really, really help people, but are either too afraid to, or they're afraid of the backlash that you will get from certain people from, from and you're going to get it. I, yeah. I, I, I expect it. How about that? Like I, I foolhardily expect it. Um, cause you know what? And that's okay. Well, you're not going to, not ever, you, gonna, you, you know, know we, we talked about this and, and I feel that I feel like look, once and one of the things I mentioned, uh, Jerry was, I, I said, you know, uh, there's some people that listen to the podcast that we work with, you know, how are you, how are you going to feel about that? And, and exactly what you just explained now is exactly what you told me. And I felt that I feel that once anybody hears this, this is coming from you. And we talked about a lot. I, I don't feel that anybody can do anything but respect you for for who you are and what you've been through and how you handle it. I think the way you're how you handle it, your character is uh, beyond superb. What is exactly 
uh, on your mind nowadays? Like, what's on your plate? What do you What do you got going on in your life right now? Um. Well, actually, now I'm like, I'm I am now full time caregiver for my parents. I moved my mom and dad in in Christmas. And, Very, that's uh, awesome, man. My dad has my dad has dementia, and oh, uh, my mom's health is, is well. I mean, hey, dude. Yeah. My man's eighty five. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, like, I, I love yeah. him. He's still still up and moving, and you know, I mean. He, it, it's, uh, it's his, his form is more of, uh, the forgetful, Okay. like there's different levels of it, I guess. And he's not, he's not ignorant and mean and like all that shit. It's more of the forgetful thing and this and that, but you know, I'm blessed that, uh, I'm going to, I'm in a position that I can bring my parents in and care for them. You know? Yeah. Um, we had looked in, we had looked into getting them in somewhere for care and, it, it, you can't afford it. I can't afford it. I ain't got that kind of money. It's 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 it un, it's ridiculous. It's disgusting what they do to the old folks. Um, um, but absolutely, you know, I mean, it's it's just um, living my life, man. I'm I'm living the best. I'm I'm living the best life I can. There How you about go. We go with that. Like, there you go. I'm taking care of mom and dad and the kids and you know the family and trying to get back to the barn and you know what I mean see ya. See, see some of the fellow, see some of the fellows at the barn. Yeah, yeah, I I know what you mean. (laughs) Hey, man, listen, um, fuck, man, thank you, thank you for this. I appreciate it. I appreciate uh, everything that you shared. I hope that, um, I hope that you know that um, I take this very seriously. I really do. I never, I wouldn't have done it had I not thought so. I'd have never would have opened up. And, and honestly, I never would have opened up to anybody but you, to be honest, because I know you're serious about this, man, and you, you you hold yourself in a professionalism that you don't see much. I like the fact that you're doing it as a journey, how people live. I think yeah. you're going to bring people together more than you'll ever realize you do because you're going to give a platform for people to really tell their story about life. And, you know, yeah. people don't really get that. Yeah. You get the you get like you get the like superficial surface shit of people, but you really don't under you really don't know like where they're from and and you know their journey to get where they are from A to B and I think it's important man. I think that I think that people have lost that. And I think it needs to come back, honestly. Like well, people you know, hopefully hopefully I I can um that what what you said is exactly what I was aiming for, and hopefully I can achieve that. And 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 the, I'm just having fun doing it, and I'm enjoying hearing people's stories and their journey. I genuinely believe that if we got to know each other more, uh, we would become yeah. better people. I've said that before, and I'm not trying to make like a little cliche, a little tagline. It's legit. I mean, every time I talk it's to somebody. True. Uh, that I, you know, I could be at a party and you know how it is. You're at a party and you start randomly talking to people. And the next thing you know, I'm like, man, I, I, I kind of learned something today. I don't know. Yeah. I just became a better person. So thank you. Thank you for your words. I appreciate it. I'm not, I don't want to hold you up anymore because uh, it's getting late and I know you're in that, you're in that beautiful uh, garage of yours right now. I'm well, sure. I'm sure you want to go back. <laughs> I don't have to really get up anytime soon. So, you know. I know well, you do. Yeah, but, well, uh, yeah, you I, know, it is what it is. Uh, let's not let's not go there anymore. I don't want to cry on the podcast. <laughs> Jerry, I'll talk to you later, brother. Take it easy. All right, man. All right, later.
man, I hope, uh, I hope we all took something from this. I feel like, um, I feel like when you hear somebody's side of the story, their story, it just, it teaches you a lot. And look, I'm never going to suggest that we should never look at this from the victim's side because we should. We most certainly should. I think we did that in this interview. And I, I want to make clear that while doing this interview, Jerry uh, never once suggested that this is all about him. And I never looked at this like it was all about him. Because as much as we can learn from Jerry's story, and I hope what, that we do... We also don't, we don't have, uh, you know, the other family here to talk and share their story. And so we just want to keep them in our thoughts and in our prayers. Um, Such a cliche thing to say nowadays, but it's genuinely men. And I know Jerry feels the same way. Just a side note here. One of the uh, things that I meant to ask Jerry, and I never, I never did, I forgot. I wanted to know if the family responded to the impact statement that he had written. And he told me that um, that he never heard of anything. So that could very well mean that they never looked for a letter written by him, or if they did, it was just never brought to his attention. Jerry, thank you again for sharing your story. I appreciate it. I know a lot of people will appreciate that. Uh, Jerry gave me a number for AA, gave me a number for NA. I'm going to throw that in the description links in case anybody has an issue that they want to talk about and they want to get some help. And if you even want to talk with Jerry, uh, reach out to me and I'll, I'll get a hold of Jerry. We'll see. We can, we can get you some help. So listen, uh, again, Thank you for taking the time to listen to this whole episode because I know it was a big one. I'm going to go ahead and uh, call it a day. As always, stay focused and stay continuous through all four seasons. My name is Felix C. Arroyo, and these are the Journeyman Chronicles. Journeyman Chronicles.